Love it. <laughs> All right. So today I am with Joshua Wynn. So Joshua is a queer Vietnamese American writer, a collegiate national poetry slam champion, and a native Estonian. He is the author of the chapbook, American Lookbot, for my mother, and has received fellowships from Kundiman, Tin House, Sundress, Academy for the Arts, and the Vermont Studio Center. He has been published in The Offing, Wildness, American Poetry Review, The Texas Review, Auburn Avenue, Crab Orchard Review, and Gulf Coast Magazine. He has been also featured on both the Versus podcast and Tracy K. Smith, The Slowdown. He is a bubble tea connoisseur and works in a kitchen. His debut poetry collection, Come Clean, which will come out this October 5th. Uh, come Clean was the winner of the 2021 Felix Polak Prize in Poetry. Joshua is a PhD student at the University of Mississippi, where he also received his MFA. So I want to say that uh, we connected back in early 2020 online, and I mm -hmm. first learned about your work through Diacritics, which uh, I remember Shout being, out. yeah, <laughs> I remember being featured on there. And also, yeah, it was also uh, where Viet Thanh Nguyen is the founder of Diacritics. And I got to say, I really admire the work that you've been doing. I've been following your work vicariously uh, since then and really enjoy uh, the work that you shared through your art. And I want to say thank you so much for being on my show. And I want to say uh, thank you for, you know, uh, continuing this uh, work. We're seeing the emerging crop of Vietnamese and Southeast Asian writers mm -hmm. who are now telling their stories. Uh, and now making it accessible to our community and to everyone across the world and across the places of the diaspora. And so Joshua, how have you been doing? And before I begin, I also just want to say condolences to the Houston Rockets of this <laughs> season. Oh my gosh. I, I <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. Houston but you... Rockets slant. I mean, I got to do it for the <laughs> Sorry, but I, I got to One say... time for the recording. We have <laughs> to record say... for sure. The Houston Rockets landers for like the for the for the world. I'll I'll be, I'll be nice. I mean, the record <laughs> the record don't lie. But, record doesn't lie. But I will say that you did get the second pick of the draft. Mm -hmm. I think that's a consolation. And I'll just say that James Harden leaving the Houston Rockets is a blessing in disguise because I'm not a Harden fan. Right. But I think it's a blessing in disguise. I think it's a favor to the franchise to get a real NBA player who's not going to. <laughs> monopolize the ball 75 percent of the time and shoot 23 pointers but anyways sorry about it's that. vegas numbers you do high risk high reward numbers you know yeah they sure didn't work in the playoffs <laughs> suck yeah. but you know what? I'm, I'm gonna say this i'm a very bitter chicago sports fan for quite a while and mm -hmm. so i've seen the bows fall into mediocrity less than mediocrity since i don't know the end of the 90s since i was like 15 years old and i I'm just so bitter that all I do is just troll other people, troll other <laughs> fans, just because I, just because the we can still get... better for you. <laughs> oh, right. And, and the White Sox is the, the only shining hope for me. Maybe the Bears, but I'm not, but I've been let down way too many times. So. Oh, did, what, what pick did the Bulls get, by the way, in this draft? Um, they don't have a pick because they Dang. used it on Vucevic, which is fine. Because they, well, they can't pick anybody right in the top 10, so... I mean, but hey, you know, but anyways, enough of my uh, trolling of the Houston Rockets. I'm really sorry about that. Um, this is going to be like uh, shown visually. I would have put out like eight, all Aiden Light Rockets jerseys right now from the closet. It, it won't to... be. <laughs> I know, so I won't do it. That's a lot of energy. But, but I was anyways. on another podcast. I was on another podcast where um, 
they were from San Antonio and they were like making fun they were making fun of the Rockets and I pulled out like all my jerseys. Oh man. Um, wow. I mean I got love for the Spurs too. I do. Me too. No, me and too. I, I and I got a little love for the Mavs as well too, because I do think Don Sitch is very cute, but he's oh, yeah. a charmer. <laughs> yeah, I gotta That's stop hit, I gotta stop hitting on these European white players. <laughs> but anyways, before I uh continue to like fall into this weird rabbit hole, but like but how have you been in terms of of where you are with releasing the American Lookbook from my mother? Because you released that chat, Michael Chat book back mm-hmm. in late spring, and now you're on your way to release uh, Come Clean, which, we'll, which we will talk a little bit more on. But I want to know how have you been since releasing uh, the, uh, the chat book? And I got to say, I really do enjoy the poems out of this, uh, of this collection. Yeah, I think... It was cool because, you know, I grew up um, in Houston with like the Houston youth poetry scene and like my coaches and just like um, all the people I I communicate with, like within the poetry world was really into like usually hip hop as well. So it's kind of cool to see that like my little micro chapbook was released. It feels like a mixtape, honestly. and I like, I love, like, this is like the perfect size for these poems. These are very specific poems and they all like kind of fall under like one, like under the steps of the recipe, right? To make tikka. Um, and like my friend Julian always talks about like, if, like, why, why chat book? Like, why would you do, why, like, what's the reasoning behind the chat book versus like a full length book? And I think the micro chat book format worked perfectly for American Lookbot for my mother because it was so concise about focusing on the Lookbot and focusing on the mother uh, speaker relationship and on like recipes that like it felt like um, a little like comforting secret recipe love letter. Um, so I'm really excited. I was really happy uh, when it was released and I think um, it's been cool to talk about the Lukbat, especially um, in that in that poetic form. But then, like, I was thinking about uh, coming, come clean, coming out in October. Um, I'm thinking about like expectations because, like, I know that some people who've read the the micro chat book, they're like, "Oh, we write very like loving." I see, I feel all the love in these poems and stuff, and we write about food so well which is like a, a common like thing you hear with like, I think Asian American poetics. So I'm kind of excited and nervous to like see them re- come clean because it's gonna be a total 180 from this micro chat book because come clean mm-hmm. is kind of darker, kind of more, way, way more sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has some of these poems in the, the following has some of the poems from the micro chat book, but I'm kind of nervous to see like how people um just kind of taking the idea of my kind of debut collection I'm, I think I'm, I put way more uh worry and nerves on it than other people are doing because mm. I just don't want to disappoint my honest my friends and mentors um but yeah it's also been cool because this is the same year I've been exploring like my own relationship with queerness and like right when the when the chapbook was coming out, I had to think about the the back of the back of the book and the bio. And right now it's like in the Michael chapbook says bisexual Vietnamese American writer. Mm. 
it was very interesting because two months prior to this being released, it was like ace, it was demisexual Vietnamese American writer. And I think on my and for my full length, it's probably gonna say queer Vietnamese American writer. So I'm seeing like the same year that like I'm publishing things and like my bio is being read. I'm also like exploring my queerness and how fluid it is and how I'm learning new things and that's changing my perception of what I well, I'm trying to figure out is my my own identity. Mm. I also think that like, oftentimes when we write and the way you write too, it, it comes from a place of vulnerability. And so in that vulnerability, you're also having to discover these, these experiences, these feelings that you have in your own relationship with queerness and what does it look like? What, mm-hmm. what, what are your feelings and can it be defined? Um, right. And to, and sometimes writing can help at least lead you into that or lean into that um when i read american look but for my mother when i think of 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 like reading into your poems i see that food is very central into Mm -hmm. this theme uh why is food so strongly connected to your relationship with your family and also in your own upbringing what is it about um what is it about that uh center of food that really that really draws attention to your experiences um one i think it's because i think i i learned somewhere that like i think it was one professor i think it was ann fisherworth like smell the the sense of smell is so powerful and so intimate because the the only way you can like get that smell as if it has to enter your body like the particles have to physically enter your body first and then you have it inside your body and then you can smell it again mm-hmm. so like the, the idea of the sense of smell is so intimate i think that's partly why um i'm drawn to it is because it is so intimate and i think i think back to like memories of like childhood and like being a quiet kid and being shy there was a lot of silence like just at home or like at the dinner table or yeah, at the dinner table, like conversation wise, but there was always like the noise of like um, the popping of like the rice cooker or like chopsticks being moved around or just like really loud, obnoxious smacking of food. <laughs> um, like the hissing from like eating, like just biting it. My dad like bites chili peppers. It was like the hissing from that. Um, so I think it helps with memory. I think it grounds, it grounds a lot of the speak grounds the speaker and the characters I write about um, and helps create like a whole world. And I think personally it also, it's like, an, I mean, in the chapbook, it's honestly an homage to like my mother's cooking and like what she's taught me. Mm. Um, and, like before I went to like, before I went to um, grad school, the fir- one of the first things I did was I asked my mother to like write down all the recipes she's ever done for me. And she couldn't do it because, like, you know, you know, you know, we don't write recipes down um, in the Asian family. So I just like watched her cook. I wrote down the notes myself, and that was a very like cool thing to do. Um, but yeah, but honestly, like, I'm glad I wrote this micro chat book, and I wrote these poems that dealt with food. I'm also very aware of like how food is very prevalent in Asian American poetics. I think a lot of Asian, Asian American po- other writers do it so well. And I'm glad I'm a part of that, but I'm also trying to subvert, subvert it. Um, 
I think in Come Clean, I try to subvert this idea of like food in Asian American poetics more by thinking about like the labor of it. Cause I think, mm -hmm. I think food and poetics can be romanticized a lot. Yeah. I'm trying now to write the unromanticized version, like the mm -hmm. labor of it and like the hard work and like maybe in like the, uh, even in my family, like how hard like my mother worked to like make breakfast, lunch and dinner for like a family of five. Mm. So. Mm. I think it's a it's interesting because when we think of food, we have this this nostalgia, right? We think of mm -hmm. our grandma's cooking. We think of the generational tradition and this fear of losing it too, which isn't always the most romanticized. It's also sad. It's also mm -hmm. this loss, and I, I think about it very often too because as my mom is aging, mm -hmm. I wonder: Am I able to recreate that? magic if she's gone right. what would that look like because a person can a person that's close to you may be gone but also what's gone is the other parts that mm -hmm. were your everyday life you know her cooking uh her making your bed i mean the little things start to evoke these powerful memories that can't be replaced and and i think that you know food has this this relationship this connection but, mm -hmm. uh, but I think talking about the unromanticized parts of it is uh, is also thinking about the consequences of what food can do. Like, you know, when you're when you're a mother of five, in this case, having to cook meals okay. and and maybe going into school, realizing that the food wasn't isn't accessible or acceptable among your peers. And you're right. forcing yourself to adopt American culture rather than your family's culture and that's like the the first consequences of losing your native uh, or your family's uh cultural uh connection yeah i'm constantly uh, i'm i feel like i'm constantly trying to fill in the language barrier thing because i can't speak i can't speak vietnamese very well i can understand mm -hmm. it okay but like so i think um writing about yeah i think food is one way to try to fill, recipes is one way to fill in that language barrier it's like okay, I may not like be able to teach, I may not be able to teach this to, if I do have kids to my kids, but then I can teach them these recipes at least and that'll be passed down. And uh, same thing with like the micro chat book and like the American Loop platform. That like that form was just a way for me to try to fill in this gap I'll always have because of the language barrier. Yeah, I would like to at least read one of your poems. Um, so this poem is called Add Pepper to Taste the Dark. So. It begins with, be smoke stuck between your teeth, like French kissing a wreath made of your favorite colonizers. <laughs> Grind into fine sprinkles, ash like a sprained ankle, black stone reflecting a new zone. In the galaxy, home in space filled with dark matter, taste of salt only comes from the stars. But stars are finicky, are you into bright or are you into infinite? Then come to the dark side. Be the muse that gets stuck between loose white teeth, a save for later treat. It's so cool hearing someone else read that. <laughs> that, was, that was a good reading. Thank you. And I, I, hearing you read that, I remember how excited I was when I wrote that first stanza. <laughs> I like that stanza a lot. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like this defiant. You know, this, yeah. Especially when you see the word colonizer, it's like, yeah, this that that word alone draws my attention. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to know what was the genesis in creating that particular poem. 
I think for that poem, um, let me look at it. I think I was, it, I honestly, I so I wrote that paragraph. I wrote that stanza, the first stanza. I was like, okay, I have the stanza. I love the stanza. I love the idea of like being defiant against like colonizers. And like, I was like referencing like the French colonization of Vietnam. Like, all right, I have all these like uh, things happening in this poem. I think the rest, I think the rest came from this idea of, I mean, one, the title comes from one of the steps of Tipka, which is just adding pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote this, I think I, when I initially wrote this, I was thinking about like what world, like what world um, what you can create with like yourself when thinking about like the food you, the food you can create with yourself. So that's kind of like why I went to this idea of like space and like home, mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to talk about like this idea of like, yeah, like how do you create your own world from in your own, how do you like, re, like enact your own culture if like you're far away? Um, Cause I think there are, there is some distance in this poem when we come from like, are you into Briar into infinite? Um, there's like this idea of like, there's some distance between the speaker and like how they how they see themselves and at this point they're seeing themselves as like pepper um but i a lot of these poems um have declarations right be smoke grind into um be the muse like yeah this is like a here the speaker is trying to yeah remind you whoever you are to be defiant whether it's in the face of colonizers or in the face of distance whether like even if it's like a space distance um yeah I think I was trying and I I think the last stanza bookends the first like be the muse stuck between loose white teeth like the white teeth being like referencing like white colonizers again Mm. um so there's it's complicated right because then does that mean that like the gaps do you think the gaps like represent this like distance or this void yeah so it's yeah it's, it's, it's nuanced because then if you're the muse but you're stuck between white teeth that means like are you being consumed are you doing the consuming right so that's what i was thinking about <laughs> yeah no it's wonderful and now now educate the speakers what does lookbot mean the lookbot is a traditional vietnamese poetic form and Basically, it's in lines of six, six, so in Vietnamese, it's six words, eight words, six words, eight words, six words, eight words. And then the sixth word of the six word line rhymes with the sixth word of the eight word line. And then the eighth word of the eight word line rhymes with the next sixth word of the six word line and so on and so forth. Um, and usually Luke bots traditionally are written about like womanhood or warrior culture or like some journey um and there's also a pattern dealing with the tones of the Vietnamese language which I don't know at the top of my head but there's like a repeated pattern based off like um uh of the Vietnamese tones so that's what the lukbat is and it's usually for like long epic poems long and I learned about it because my parents were 
talking to me while we were eating seven course beef in Houston's Asia town. Mm-hmm. And they were just talking about like, oh, wow. Like when I was growing up, we read a lot of Luke bots. I'm like, what is this? And they were, they explained it to me. And then my dad was like, yeah, like I, and I read it. Like some of my books are in Luke bots because he reads at the dinner table. Mm. Like, oh my gosh. Like this whole time, like, you know, I had no idea they like studied this form growing up. And it was like the first time I had a, a, like a lengthy conversation about like poetics with my parents. Mm. And because of that, I was like, oh, I got to learn about this and see if there's any contemporary versions. And there wasn't any contemporary versions really. And then that's when I decided to like, to create the American Lukebot and like to adopt the form to conform it to the English language. And because English is poly- polysyllabic, it's like the same, kind of the same, just like six syllable line, eight syllable line, six syllable line, eight syllable line. But because you have polysyllabic words, now there's more internal rhymes, so it's more hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, it can create like momentum as the poem goes down the page. Um, I don't, and then plus since English uh, isn't tonal, I don't have to worry about the tonal, um, the tonal pattern. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the loop bot and the American loop bot. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, I think oftentimes when you take in this Vietnamese form and you turn it into the English language, did you feel the intimidation of having to take this, this Vietnamese language, this art form? And turn it into something that you can only that something that you can only know. And was it as was it a challenge? Was it something that you were always thinking about? I hope that other Vietnamese folks, Vietnamese speaking folks, aren't going to feel very upset about it. Did you feel that kind of intimidation? In oh yeah, I feel that. I feel it today. <laughs> mm. I thought about that this whole the whole time. Um, yeah, like I I think of I I remember when I first started doing it someone who I kind of like who I like I, I should I kind of looked up to was like I don't know if you should do this I don't know if it will work and I was like aha mm-hmm. and then I was like well, I really want to like I want to connect this like again talking about filling the language barrier I want to somehow connect to this Vietnamese history that like, I, I know like very little about and this like Vietnamese poetics and so I guess in ignorance I kept going with it and I wanted to like highlight like the, the Vietnamese poetics um, and like my contemporary age. Um, so this was like, and you know, it's a very, and I think about how like it's a very Asian American thing I did. Like I try, I, 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 I took this like very traditional form and then I kind of, I, I appropriate it into to the English language that I could speak. Um, and I think it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's definitely evident. Uh, that's why I wrote that. There's another poem in the, in the micro chat book called A Failed American Lookout Responds. And that's mm-hmm. literally like just my uh, tug and pull, like internal thoughts about even like writing this form and creating this form and like the, hes- the hesitancy and like whether I did it, if it's right or, or wrong. And um, yeah, and I, and I even think that like, putting American in the, putting American in the form was like a very, like, it was like a very, it was a thing I was hesitant on because I was like, oh, you know, Terrence Hayes did American sonnets. So I would just do American Lukebot. And then I, I saw like a thread by Chen Chen about like the idea of 
American mm. like form names. I was like, Ugh. and I was like, is this like, yeah, like it's it feels like an act of violence, like because American holds so much like mm. there's so much violence in its history, especially like in regards to, like U.S. Vietnam um, dynamics. So, like even putting American in uh, a form name next to like two Vietnamese words was like a very like um very very uh interesting move on my part and i'm still like i'm still grappling with it till today um i also think that diaspora has its own language right mm -hmm. i mean we are of the diaspora we struggle with carrying the fragments of our family's language and our understanding of its history and then the history that we're taught in america up to this point we're not getting the full version of it. We're just starting to uncover mm -hmm. the, the ugliness of American history as we speak. So I think like in a way, you're writing something that comes from a very honest place, but also from a place that's, that's also fragmented. You're mm -hmm. speaking, the, the, you're speaking a diaspora language, right? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think it's not a bad thing. It's the truthful it's the it's hyphen the, in Asian Americans that like I'm writing that right. hyphen. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the uh, the authentic experiences of of what we grapple with and what we are clinging on to, whatever scraps that we have. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like grabbing a gra grabbing a handful of sand and trying to like uh, hold on to it mm -hmm. and finding the nearest uh, bucket to dump it into. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's that dish? Uh, Kamtam. Oh yes. Like the, I learned recently how like broken rice was because like people would fuck up people's villages and like take the rice and all that was left is the broken rice and that's how that mm. dish was made. It's like, you know, I don't know why I, I, I just thought about that. It's like the idea of like you hold on to what you know and then you learn the history of it and then like you still have to hold on to what you know and you hold on to new knowledge of what you know and like it keeps going. Yeah, and also um, I know that you are currently working on releasing Come Clean, which you, you know, shared a little, a little bit earlier about. So what was the genesis in creating Come Clean? And what, and, and from the direction that you're taking from this chapbook to this one, why did you feel compelled to take on, take on this, uh, these experiences that you want to share? What's behind the motive in writing this? Yeah, Come Clean, it feel you know it's it's my debut collection and it feels very de debut in the fact that like it kind of follows um just like it follows like the chronological memories of a speaker from like birth to like adulthood and all the violences that occur throughout that those memories um i think come clean deals a lot with um violence, particularly in the form of like um, sexual violence uh, as a child. Um, and it's like those, that's a very, you know, that's a very dark thing to touch on, to touch upon. So that's one of like, the themes and this idea of how to like, how to um, personally uh, compartmentalize those like, those memories and how to heal from that if that's possible. So, and so the reason why it's called Come Clean is because the, there's a huge, huge theme of like the quotidian and the domestic and like mm -hmm. the idea of being a male presenting body within these like very 
domestic spaces. Um, so there's a lot of poems that deal with like cleaning, cooking, eating, um, doing laundry, you know? So like in how, you know, we're talking about how like food holds so much memory and so much like, um, so much of tr like seeds like ground someone in. I'm trying to do the same thing with like these domestic acts of like, uh, of these quotidian acts and how they can like help or amplify memory or they can help or amplify like emotions associated with, um, with memory. Um, and like, it starts off like very, you know, it starts off, there, there's a push and pull with throughout the book of like messiness, whether messiness in the form of like emotional messiness or even how it looks on the page. And then there are poems that deal with like clean cleanliness and how it might look very clean on the page too. And then there's like the tension of like, oh, you're talking about very messed up, messy things, but in a clean form. And there's that tension too. Um, so yeah, and I, I that, that this was all inspired by like reading Marie Kondo and listening to Mitski. Mm -hmm. um, those are huge influences on this book, Marie Kondo and Mitski, because they both like. I mean, Marie Kondo kind of obviously, but Mitski, I think, in her lyrics talks about like uh, a lot of quotidian domestic stuff, mm. and that kind of inspired me to think about my own, my like my own ideas of memory how like the domestic can can uh be like the the centering or like the foreground for the memory mm. i when i was thinking about maria kondo it's kind of a <laughs> funny story actually uh one of my friends showed me like oh, here's your doppelganger and i was like and i look at this dude and i was like that's maria kondo's husband and i'm like oh what yeah never seen I, them because if the funny part is I wear a fedora too sometimes oh. like every now and then I mean yeah. that was like that was my 2012 look but bring it back I was, yeah <laughs> I, oh, oh trust me I got well I got Janet Jackson's fedoras now so <laughs> got them in but like but yeah I was I thought it was just funny because like my friend's like oh my god that looks like you and I was like dang it kind of does and I was like kind of showing it to folks and they're like I thought it was you all along except that there's two little girls and they're like they're not your daughters right so <laughs> but anyways um yeah, but not to um, to stray away here. But when you when you were talking about like confronting sexual trauma in this upcoming book, what was your own feelings as you were writing about or confronting these past traumas? And I, I, I cannot imagine like when you have to put words in, mm -hmm. when you have to relive these very difficult uh, moments in your life. What was that? process like for you and what did you discover into your writing as you were going through those uh parts of your journey that was very unpleasant mm -hmm. um i think for me the like you know i you know you can write about you know there is like the the author and then there's the author and then there's like the speaker i think me the author i was thinking about particular you know uh, tragic memories that kind of like went by the by the wayside like no you know I didn't talk about it no one wanted to talk about it which you know mm -hmm. happens a lot I think in uh you know one in Asian American communities and then I was also in like youth poetry communities um 
so I don't know. I, I think it, I had to think about them for a long time because they were so fragmented and I was always doubting myself like did, did this really happen am I overreacting is this messed up like mm -hmm. um but then I started thinking about like the age differences that happened between like you know I think about the age differences and like the I the con whether consent was involved and like the power dynamics and I'm like oh wow these are really fucked up things that like mm. if I saw this happening I would I would call this out you know so then uh, when I was writing the poems and I was thinking about like, you know, thinking about like processing my own memories, I was purposefully like, I knew that like, you know, I'm still not ready to like talk about certain things or to write about certain things. So that's why like a lot of the stuff in the poems are like, like names are changed or like locations are changed, like simple stuff like that. That way, um, because I I changed some of the names and some of the locations, I create distance between me, the author, and like the speaker of the poem. And that way I can I can write about it and feel like um I can I can like write with some distance. Um because if I couldn't have distance when writing it, I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to do it. It was too like raw and too like in my face and too like in my body. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you know, uh, so that when I figured out that was the move, like if I could do that, then I could write it. Then I was like, oh, this is it. This is how I can do it. And then when I thought about the idea of like the quotidian and like the, the domestic and Marie Kondo, like this is like, this is my avenue into writing this, this like this this project idea. Um, Cause like, I didn't think of, I really couldn't write um, the very like tragic poems about sexual assault until I had the idea of like come clean because then I could I could toy with the idea of like messy and clean and all and all like the all the memories have like some sort of like domestic or quotidian aspect to them. Um, and yeah, and then uh, after a while, I I wrote a lot of them all at once. Cause then I, you know, I was just like, I couldn't like live, I couldn't like, if I spent like a whole like six months writing them, I'd be exhausting. So mm -hmm. I kind of just went all at once, just get like rip a bandaid off. And then, yeah. Did you feel supported um, by folks or by like people in your life when you were going through these traumas and also into your writing when you were taking the initiative to to do this? I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people, a lot of people don't know about them, and a lot of people have never read the poems. <laughs> so like, <laughs> my part, like my girlfriend's read the poems, and I'm sure, I mean, I guess my editor has, but not a lot, a lot of the poems I've kept close to my to to myself because uh, I don't know, like it's it's hard. They're hard to read personally, and I think mm -hmm. I think I'm pre I'm preparing myself because I'll eventually be going on book tour. I'm preparing myself to read them and to maybe like um, you ask questions about it in the Q and A. Um, so now I'm where I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm get, I'm ready to like read them and like to release them, mm. um, out into the world. Cause I do think, you know, uh, they do serve purposes like cathartically 
for me, like it's cathartic. And then to like, maybe it will help like someone who reads them, help them connect. Can I do like write from a male presenting speaker in the in this collection? I do want to like talk about, like highlight the idea of like um, people who are, who identify as male can be like assaulted as well. Um, and like can go through these like very sad, sad things. Um, so yeah, not a lot of people have read them and that was kind of a purposeful choice, but I think once when like October rolls around, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be ready to read them. And I hope that you are in a good place to, to do it. And also giving yourself grace, especially Mm -hmm. when you're doing these book tours, I cannot imagine having to be confronted to read and then to be asked questions. And, Mm -hmm. and also I think one of the. One of the beauties of writing and releasing your work is you never know who this can really connect and who this brings you to, what uh, the energy you bring into the universe and mm-hmm. the energy that comes back from it. And I think there's yeah. something that's very powerful. Like, you know, I've experienced this in storytelling too and and whatever I've shared and <clears throat> whatever writings that I've done in the past, it, it's, it can be quite cathartic in who you get connected to. And I hope that it's a good experience or a healing or Mm-hmm. Um, a continued healing experience for you that can be expanded and and also I hope that it gives you time to you know g- again give yourself grace and the self-care that you need in this and I look forward to s- hearing more about this work too because I I don't want to dive into the tr- uh, into the specifics of the trauma I mm-hmm. I think what's more important is is just being able to navigate through your own writing and also how you you know work through it on a personal level and I hope that that is uh I hope that you are in a good position to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to say, like, in terms of your own family, your own relationship with your family, and how have they been in terms of supporting your work as a writer and as mm-hmm. an educator? What's what has that been like? Because oftentimes, as as much as I really, really hate to even bring this up, <laughs> it annoys me. I already know. You know, it's just, <laughs> I already know. Yeah, I'm. I'll say this because I'm an English major. That should say enough about how <laughs> much my dad especially agreed on that quote unquote mm-hmm. um but i wanted to know what was their own response to that and and have they been supportive of the work that you're doing and are they understanding your approaches to your writing like writing in general yeah the writers yes, yes. oh yeah so i mean growing up they they were pretty supportive because like when I got onto the Youth Houston team, we had practices at the downtown Houston library like three times a week. Um, and that's like from where we live, that's like a 25 minute drive. So they would drive me there and pick me up. And they were very, de- they were very like, I understand why they'd be pissed off if like I didn't get out on time because we would hit traffic. Um, so they, su- they support, I feel like they, they did support me. Um, in their in their in their own way and they drove me to practices they thought it was still a hobby though they thought i was still going to be a dentist mm. in the end but it was cool because um yeah after undergrad i uh why i got an ex- i got interviewed in, at a dental school and i was like this doesn't feel right and then i was like talking to my friend tony at waffle house and he was like you don't you shouldn't lie to yourself he learned that you know in undergrad and then listening to mitski and she was telling me to follow my dream. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and I decided to not be a dentist, become a writer. And then 
I remember that day I was in my room and I, I, I wrote a check uh, for all like the help that my, my parents gave me when like doing like uh, wow. dental training, like dental school, dental test training and stuff like that. Wow. So I had the check ready. I walked downstairs to dinner. My sister's there. My mom was there. My dad's there. I'm like, I have to talk to y'all about something. <laughs> <laughs> I think they thought I got someone pregnant, honestly. And <laughs> I was like, hey. How, I'm, I'm, <laughs> how old were you at the time? Uh, I just, I was just out of undergrad. So I guess I was like 22, 23. Mm, gotcha. And they're like, what? Wait, what is it? And um, I was like, hey, I... I'm not going to be a dentist. It's not my passion. I'm going to follow my, my dream of being a writer. I think I can do it. I'm going to apply to this MFA program within two weeks because that was all I had. And then surprisingly, my dad was really cool about it. He was like, you know, I'm glad you found this out now or you, so, you would have wasted so much money in dental school. Wow. wow. <laughs> and then my mom started tearing up and that caused my sister to tear up because she cries easily. But my mom was just afraid that like no one would love me as a writer. They thought like <laughs> no one oh would want to love a poor writer. So, you know, they they su- they support me. You know, they support they they were my mom was crying because they she just wanted to make sure that I was loved. And Aww. but now like but I think they both aren't poets uh, supposed to love each other? They, <laughs> or is it well, po- as, or or is it just as there's so many beefs? Because I, I kind of see that it's either one or the other. Because I know when I interviewed Kathy Park Hong a while ago, she said that yeah, poets are very petty to each po- other. Poets are petty and poets are lovers, but then there's also the saying that poets shouldn't date each other. <laughs> yeah. Tell so. Sylvia Plath that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but now like I mean they're they're supportive from a distance. Like I don't think they like read my work. And I don't think they'll listen to this podcast, <laughs> but uh, sorry, Randy. But, uh, oh, but, okay. they, <laughs> but like they asked me like. Neither would James Harden. <laughs> We're going to get James Harden to listen to this podcast. We're going to tag him. Oh, he can. <laughs> he can. He'll know my real feelings. No, but I think, I mean, they. I think they, a lot, I, my mom said, as long as I eventually end up with health insurance, she'll, like she'll be fine. And has that been accomplished? I do have health insurance as a grad student. See, there you so. go. There you go. There's, it's not completely hopeless. So, you know, you're, okay. you're they, they, they don't need, like, I don't, I don't mind that they don't read my work. Um, yeah. I think they support me in their own way. And I appreciate them for what they've done. And honestly, like, if they don't, then, like, it'll, it'll help with the conversations I don't have to have with them. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's no. like my parents don't know that I have a podcast. Um, yeah. And I don't think oh, wait, they know for real? They don't. Whoa. They do not. I'm kind of like weird about opening up another part of me because like I feel like I live double lives. I mean, I am a Gemini. I have two different mm-hmm. wavelengths. And I think sometimes because a lot of the work that I do revolves around diaspora assimilation, I feel like sometimes it hits too close mm-hmm. to the core. For me yeah. to talk about that and also some of it comes from you know my relationship with my dad and and that struggle and i remember i'm like it's so great that your dad's so supportive and your mom too uh and i know like i remember the first time i told my dad that i was going into journalism i think i was arguing with him for like about a week and mm-hmm. i was like he wanted me to be a lawyer which i probably would have been really good at that because i know how You're to a argue good lawyer. Yeah. I'm, yeah i'm six foot tall i know how to intimidate 
you know, I, I, I hope that, that you would become a lawyer for James Harden in that in that world. That'd be so cool, funny. Well, see what happens. I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know what that would look like. To be honest with you. <laughs> There's a lot of things I can't defend, you know, like shooting bad three point shots. But um, <laughs> so your dad wanted you to be a lawyer, and you're like, nah. yeah, no, I I just couldn't see myself dealing with the stress of law school and having to mm -hmm. remember policies. And it's like, this is not who I am. I thrive on creativity. I thrive on movement. And mm -hmm. and that doesn't work for me. And I wanted to go more into journalism, which it was a struggle to you know get into. I don't want to take up too much of my end. But, but yeah, I think that, that the refugee trauma that our parents had to endure, it conditions them to be like we've got to survive like this offspring right. of ours has to survive this time because mm -hmm. we couldn't do it this time we were robbed right. of it i like our our hopes now has to come through our children and eventually grandchildren like we and also stopping the uh the generational poverty you know that for that we are that our family had to go through yeah. uh leaving the homeland so yes i mean this is the only thing that they knew and understood what benefit us but realizing that it doesn't benefit our community as a whole i mean we were actually we do more damage to it but you know good for you for you know sticking to your guts and going for your writing and you're also going for your phd which i mm -hmm. think is even incredibly awesome and you are also teaching young folks and yeah. that's a, there's a lot to be proud of and i also want to say uh you talk I'm about also, I'm, I'm also the sometimes the first Asian like teacher that people have yeah I've learned especially here in Mississippi and you will not be the last either <laughs> too, you know um but I also want to say like like how has your experience been in Mississippi like uh, especially as one of the few Asian folks on campus and especially in your field mm -hmm. what has that been like in terms of having your uh having the administrators and uh department understand your work and not right. making you feel like it's tokenizing yeah i think i guess like starting off with just like the town of oxford mississippi which is a very lovely southern quiet like quaint town it's like a football it's like football town like friday night lights but way prettier with like way better trees um there's not a lot of Asian, just like I, I think it was like one point some percent Asian people here. When I first came here, it was very it was very like alienating, and now I get looks at Walmart, right? Looks mm -hmm. I say it looks today, which I'm kind of just used to now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it felt very isolating to be living, going from like Texas or Houston and Austin, right, which like has heavy Asian populations and moving to here where it's very like very black and white um so yeah i mean it was very like it was hard at first because i had to transition one into a brand new town and then also into a brand new program where i already felt like imposter syndrome to the hundredth degree um but i think uh i i think in the town itself at least there is like and i you know, just the idea of like Southern hospitality. There's like a Southern politeness, which like I kind of, uh, I'm like familiar with from being in Texas. So at least like we have that. So it's like, it feels like if I am like getting like stared at, I'm being stared at with like a smile or, or 
that's not the cream. Or getting stared at with like <laughs> whipped cream or something. Um, but being the program itself, I love the program here. Um, I think I think I came here one because um, my mentor Amy Nizuka Matado is here, who is Asian American, and she loved this town. And she, you know, she came from uh, uh, what's the Buckeyes? Ohio State University. Oh, I can't stand Ohio State, but that's fine. I can't. I don't need to. You hear that, Amy? You hear that, Amy? Randy kid. <laughs> I do not. I remember Rudy Amy Nezikamata. If you're listening, I remember Randy rooting. <laughs> yeah, I remember rooting for the Gators back in 2008 when they lost twice to when, when <laughs> Ohio State lost twice in football and basketball. So. Dang, but yeah, she... <laughs> I'm savage. I'm a savage. I'm a savage bitch. <laughs> yeah, Amy is a professor here and. You know, Sorry. I knew that it's okay, but I knew I had Amy here, and then if she loved it and she could make it work, I knew that I I could do it, and I could always turn to her, and she's been like a big help in my in my my transition here. Um, and I think when I came in, we had a like, I think we had like at least three or four other Asian or Asian American people in the English department, which was nice. And then up until like a, a few weeks ago. My closest friends here, who lives in my same complex, Andy Sia, who's a poet, he he was here and he would hang out with me and my roommate Noel all the time. Um, so like I, whenever I felt like very isolated, I would just like hang out with like the few Asian people in in the English apartment, which was like fine with me. Um, I think tokenized. I felt that a lot in some of my classes. I think whenever you know whenever like there's an we read Asian American poetry there's always like a professor who was like Josh what do you think and then like there's and like asked me to like kind of explain the Asianness of it all which is like you know no one likes to be mm -hmm. uh in that position but that's like not that's not that's not like the entire experience I've had here it's only like certain certain people um but but we know we just opened up a boba spot. I think I've, if you have a boba spot here, it opened up last year, Wonderful. right across my street, run by Vietnamese people. Yeah, we're actually seeing more of that. Even in the suburbs yeah. where I used to grow, well, where I grew up, is where I live now. We're starting to creep up even more, like in the suburbs. So when you come to Chicago to the suburbs, there's a yeah. lot more coming oh. in that direction now, to the point where I don't even need to go to Chinatown or Vietnamese <laughs> Town. To be honest with you, it's like, oh, now that it's actually in my neck yeah. of the woods, and they're actually decent. <laughs> it was wild. It was wild. I went inside. It's called Mean Team. I went inside the the bubble spot for the first time. It felt like I walked into a whole. I felt like I walked into Houston. Like I was in a Houston boba shop i remember waiting in line and there was a, a vietnamese couple sitting down and they were talking shit about me in vietnamese oh, wow. like, well they were like you think this you think this kid this dude's korean like do you think you understand this or something like that and like they were talking about my hair kind of like really bad bedhead at the time mm. they were making fun of my hair and i was like wow this feels like i'm at home like this is good <laughs> like people are shit talking me in my own language in Vietnamese, like I get that them. a lot. I get that a lot in, in <laughs> whenever I go to a Vietnamese restaurant or to a, sometimes to a Cambodian community among the elders, yeah. um, because I'm both mixed, and so they can't tell me apart. But when I lived in Korea, like for a few years, 
it was constant. Like, when I would wear these glasses, yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, they would think I'm more Korean. But they're like, yeah, but you're a little too dark. So, <laughs> and, yeah, it was this constant reminder. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I get it. You know, I get it. I'll but that embrace- time, like, it was like the first time I, I missed the Asian judgment. I was glad to see it because it felt like I was at home. <laughs> Yeah, I just I think what I learned to do is I like to make people uncomfortable too when they make mm. when they're trying to make me uncomfortable. It's like okay, well, I like to point up and be like, oh yeah, I am. And it's like I know that you're wondering if I'm such and mm-hmm. such. But yeah, I think you get to a point where you're like, no, we're gonna reclaim this. Like this yeah. is we are at who we are now, and uh, and we shouldn't feel shameful about how our becoming became. And so. Yeah, I thought you were from Iceland. I'm joking. (laughs) Yeah, no no kidding. I mean, I look like like a warrior. So So, I know one of the things that we had talked about earlier when you released uh, the the chapbook is about queerness identity. And Mm -hmm. I know you were kind of navigating what that looks like for you. Now, I want to know, like, as a writer and as as you're starting to become more... um, more um, knowledgeable about the experiences mm-hmm. of queer identity through your own lens and through the experiences that you had in in your own community. What does that look like for you these days? And what uh, and is it often a struggle for you to talk about uh, queerness in a way that makes you feel comfortable and secure? I think it's tough because I feel like I, I'm coming in late. Uh, and I think all my friends have kind of already established themselves in their queerness. Mm-hmm. And I also think I'm one of the few folks who are are really on like the asexual scale. I've actually been reading this really good book called Ace by Angela Chen. I just saw that actually. I um, do want to check that one out. It's because changing I... my life. Mm. Uh, because it's really it's, she's re- they really encompass like what I like thought about um, for a while. Um, so there's like I think there's a pressure because or there's like some added stress because I'm I'm coming in so late and also because I'm publishing and I'm going to be talking to people about the stuff and I'm I and I'm I have to like figure out like the answers and like where I'm at in the moment and I guess like but it's kind of cool because like you know like when you watch like. Uh, kid stars grow up on the TV screen, mm-hmm. like Carl from The Walking Dead. I feel right. like people are going to be like seeing me grow and like learn about myself as like I grow in like the the writing community, which is oh. kind of a cute, cute and also scary thing to like think about. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I just want to say this, like when you talk about how late, but like how late are we talking about? Because I, I and I don't want to, I don't mean to put you on the spot there, but I, I think that, that, I think when we learn about what queerness means, it's not a cut and dry. It's not monolithic. Mm-hmm. It's not a black or white issues like oh, I'm gay or I'm bisexual or I'm trans. I, there's so many different layers to that experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, it depends on how you were the environment that you were brought up and what you were exposed to and and sometimes we weren't exposed to this until we had to get out of our own a little box like right. I, I will tell you i don't think i've really i don't think i really 
got a better sense of who I was until into my late twenties, and I'm mm-hmm. almost like I'm 38 now, and it, like my 30s, I'm much more secure about wh- how I define myself and mm-hmm. and the narratives I talk about. But in my 20s, I was all over the place, and mm-hmm. I felt because I was all over the place, I was quite toxic, you know, to some of my own friends because I felt this anger, like okay, mm-hmm. I did not know who or what I represented. My two clo- one of my close best friends is a white gay man who came out in his early 20s, and I thought that there was a difference. Like there's something right. that I could not quite understand or could quite uh, grasp in his own experiences because it's different than my experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to know, like, is do you feel that still weighing on you? Like, because I, I do think that you're still discovering. And I think the beauty of discovering is a wonderful thing. I mean, you learn about your own experience about who you are. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's ever a deadline to say that you should figure it out by 30 years old. You should <laughs> kids by 40. I mean, yeah, I mean, we are throwing away what we were taught early on. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Like this idea that we should have grandkids by the time we were 30 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't plan on having kids. <laughs> told my mom that and she is fine with it. But but those are things that we have to keep unlearning mm-hmm. because when we start to give in to this idea that we have to be defined by even our own communities, our own LGBTQ communities, where mm-hmm. there is this, this, where there can be a disconnect, but then we also have to realize that, well, no, that, this is the journey that I'm on. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong to say, hey, um, I'm still processing. And, right. and if this is something that works for me, then this is something that works for me. I'm excited about honestly is in my second project, which is going to be like my dis- my dissertation, um, is going to be you're, you'll you, you'll clearly see, I think, this idea of like discovering yourself in real time in the work. Um, I'm excited to like share that process through the writing because mm-hmm. I have so many ideas of like how to literally show, like, um, the fl- fluidity of it of queerness and like how to um how to write about like um asexuality like Mm -hmm. in poetry um and i'm excited about like showing how like one can do it and how because i'm gonna do it a lot like right now the title is called gym theory and because i spent a lot like and i love like this idea of like uh subverting what we think of like the gym um and like this idea of like aesthetics and like whatever like that, but using like the language of like the gym to explore like asexuality or demisexuality and like pansexuality is going to be like a very exciting process, which is like my next thing. Um, so even if I don't have like the the knowledge or the language capacity to like talk about it right now, like by the time that book comes out. I'm excited to see how like the like the readers like respond to my perspective of discovering mm-hmm. like all of that within like that poetry book. And I think that's gonna be a very, very fun, honestly very freeing book, which I'm gonna write the total opposite of Come Clean. Yeah, and I think it can also deepen that too, deepen those mm-hmm. connections and how people see themselves who are on that journey to discovering what that looks like for them. Mm-hmm. And 
how has your girlfriend been in terms of understanding your uh, understanding your identity and experiences and also with your family how how has that conversation been like and was it something that you were often very concerned with because of the idea that am i really being authentic am i really shortchanging this am i lying mm -hmm. to myself am i deserving mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of this love you know it's it's complicated because i know i've been in these relationships where i've been all over the place yeah. and never quite so sure for my family i mean they got the chat book and they they were very shocked on the on the back by a winter bisexual so like they 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 know i'm thinking about queerness and my mom called me and she asked me about it she was like wait it says you're bisexual so i mean <laughs> like you can be attracted to both men and women I'm like yep and she's like okay and then that was it and I mean they don't you know I think that's gonna be it like they're not gonna talk about it which is fine I don't think that's I, the same. I, one that's good the thing same. about yeah, one good thing about coming in late is that like I kind of don't need a lot of like gratification from certain people like I don't really no. need which is kind of nice I think that's the beauty of it when I was coming out more late because I at that point I wasn't worried about whether I was going to get disowned or kicked out of the house. Yeah. I was, I already had my group of friends. I already know who I roll with. And mm -hmm. I remembered, I think this is like one of my favorite moments when, I, when my mom asked me, because my brother was like calling me because I was about to pick my mom up. And my brother was like, oh, I got to tell you something. My mom was like, mom's asking, because Randy Gay is like, and you know, and Tony, like my brother Tony was trying to like soften her up a little bit. and prepare her and I'm like, oh, okay, it's gonna be one of those kinds of rides <laughs> to the <laughs> supermarket. And then she asked me and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I am. Um, <laughs> and then it's like, are you mad? And then she said no. And then like five minutes later, it's like, well, I'll stay, stay home so I can make you some egg rolls. So okay. <laughs> I think if, if my mom brings it up, I'll just be like, don't worry, I'll have health insurance. Don't worry. <laughs> and I'll have health insurance. You know, like I told him, um, I told my, I, I told myself like a couple of years ago if i were to write a short story it would be called gay gross <laughs> so that's amazing yeah <laughs> i know but, uh... right it's like yeah i mean <laughs> i come out and i get egg rolls with that shit so. um but, but anyways, but I, yeah. I do want to say but then also like my roommate's been um, great my roommate noel quinones like he's mm -hmm. a writer and he's been like teaching me just like through how he like lives and like walks through the world how to be okay with like expressing oneself in whatever colors that may be and like how to like love yourself because he's i mean he's an aries right so he's very like fired up and like oh i'm a rising aries rising oh, yeah? baby mm -hmm. but i'm totally not that but it's great like he's you know he reminds me of how to like how to love oneself and how to like celebrate oneself um and then yeah my partner my girlfriend elissa she's like been really supportive and like she has been with me um you know as, a, as i've been like discovering my queerness and like my and i've been talking to her about like angela chen's um ace book on asexuality um so she's been really supportive and like really like open to like any conversation um like to have with me about it that is really so, awesome i have like my very loving uh community here just nice yeah i think that's really amazing that you have that little community in your own uh in your own space and mm -hmm. you know just uh just thinking about how much power that holds to what you want to explore and the possibilities that are out there and what you're learning from the people that you surround yourself with mm -hmm. you know 
So I also want to say that uh, I know that you want to share a poem. So I would like for you to, you know, give space to that. But yeah, give us a little bit of a, a taste of what it's about. So yeah, this is actually um, this poem I wrote because my thesis advisor, Amy Nimzuka Matata, was like, you don't write any like good positive poems about yourself. <laughs> you should try that and see how that works. So I did. And I also wanted to write a pantu, which is like a poetic form with like specific, specific repetition. So, okay, I'll write a positive poem about myself and I'll write it in a pantu. And then I wrote it, I was in Houston and my other mentor, Lupe Mendez was like, I was like, hey, should I read this new poem? Lupe was like, yeah, you should read it or he kind of peer pressured me into reading it because Lupe was like, you never talk nice about yourself. So you have to read this. So mm -hmm. he made me read it uh, at this reading. And it was very nice and cathartic to, to listen to listen to myself read these these lines that like, you know, that's like in praise. Um, anyways, it's, it's after um, one of my favorite activities which is getting my eyebrows threaded. I love getting my eyebrows threaded. <laughs> I think one, because it's like the one, one of the few things of like, self-care and self-beauty that I care about about myself mm. and also love the idea of, like there's pain involved mm. but like you have to oh, go through the pain to like I... get get to get like the nice eyebrows there's yeah. like a sacrifice in the moment I have never done my eyebrows but you know what you do for self-care I've gotten I got really addicted to buying uh the Fenty skincare starter oh yeah uh -huh. nice. I'm, I'm basically helping Rihanna become a billionaire you know? <laughs> Rihanna if you're listening uh, give Randy some, some, that uh, serum some toner water. <laughs> that serum toner water would be really nice. I need a lifetime supply of that. <laughs> but yeah, this is a poem basically, um, you know, I'm talking about like, this is from come clean. It's one of like the more positive poems of come clean, but it still has like the, you know, has like a, the idea of the quotidian and the domestic, um, when talking about like eyebrows. So this is a pantoum. And the title is In Praise of My Threaded Eyebrows. And it's after Amy Nezukmatadl's poem, In Praise of My Manicure. In praise of thread doubled and twisted, a helix love affair between beauty and pain, tension of pulled skin, friction in the form of heat, Praise the two hands which grasp my hair's execution. Not far behind beauty is pain. The tension of pulling rows of caterpillar legs from the dirt. Using the hands of gravity's air to perfect execution. Leaving its chrysalis behind. Farewell, caterpillars resting below the acne of my forehead. Hello, shiny sleek queens arched with a crown full of crystals. Behind the throne, a curtain made of nylon, yanked apart across my forehead. I fall in love with a yellow sleep queen, trimming the hedge above my nose, curtailing made from neon. Yank a part of my body on the edge of the salon, stretched, trimmed, and hedged. And before I know it, there are parts of me that see again. The edge of the salon outstretches its arms, doubled, twisted helix love of praise and thread mm. thank you thank you for sharing that <laughs>
what a treat. And also, gotta say, I love the vividness of it too. I love how you described uh, minute by uh, second by second from it. Mm -hmm. And I like the caterpillar reference. Too, <laughs> so. I also, up. and also, as I start to wrap up, I want to ask you. So, if you were to tell your, I'm gonna pick an age. If you were your, <laughs> I do this for a lot of my guests as of late. And yeah. if you were to tell your 18 year old self, what would you tell that version? Um, I'll tell them to follow your dream, follow your passion, um, follow your gut. Um, I would say to relax a bit and it's a, and the, I would probably tell them that I love that you care so much for others, but also to think about yourself more. Cause I think 18 year old self would be an RA at the moment. And <laughs> I'll tell them to, you know, question everything, explore yourself, and don't be afraid to uh, express yourself. And I'll tell them to try the oolong tea. Mm. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Good <laughs> advice there. Good advice there. <laughs> I want to say, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on to my show. I've really been just so honored to have gotten to know you for the past yeah, for year me. and a half and really been a witness to your to your writings and mm -hmm. and also learning more about you on a personal level. And and I and cannot Rockets, wait in the Rockets Lander. Don't forget. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I like to show you every now and then. But now that Harden's gone, I may not be so tough on you, you mm -hmm. know. Maybe about other teams like the Astros, you know, <laughs> cheated. Yeah, yeah. The World Series. And, <laughs> yeah. and you still got to figure out how, what you're going to do with Deshaun Watson. Oof. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, but I'll be anyways, easy. Anyways, but I'll, but I'll be saying, easy. Anyway, you're saying nice things. You're saying yes. nice things. I'm, I'm being kind of pleasant. I mean, I'll be nice. <laughs> I'm curious to know who they're going to pick in that second, in that yeah. in that draft. So there's hope. and. Mm -hmm. And I do like Hakeem Olajuwon, by the way. I do think he's one of my favorite centers. So oh, nice. I'll, Shout out. I'll be very... Hakeem Olajuwon, if you're listening, we are both big fans. I, I do like that <laughs> dream shake. And yeah, I, I I love his game. I I mean, I'm a big NBA playoff fan, and I'm glad to see Chris Paul in the NBA Finals. Shout too. out. Shout yeah. out, Chris Paul. So I, I want to say thank you so much for doing this. And I really want to wish you the best of luck in releasing come clean i cannot wait to grab to grab my copy of it and i hope that the conversations that you will have with so many folks mm -hmm. in your tours and do reading your book i hope that it will give you a sense of 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 um i don't know what's the right word but but uh but all the experiences that you hope to fulfill and mm -hmm. and then some so thank you again my friend Appreciate it. Thank you. And also shout out, um, I taught uh, intro to career writing this past semester and I assigned uh, Randy's interview with Kathy Park Hong and most of my students listened to it and loved it. So Thank shout you. out to, Thank to, you for to being in the ears of the, my students. Thank you so much. And now <laughs> I think she's officially like my highest rated hey. episode. So. <laughs> but anyways, thank you again, my friend. Yeah, thank you. All right.